Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege and the honor of coming before you, gathering together as your children, saved by grace. We are very grateful and appreciate that everything you let us do for you and in your name is a total privilege that we don't deserve. And we ask that you bring forth your message tonight from your spirit in relation to this. Help us gain the right perspective, both on ourselves and what it means to serve you. Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, down to earth to pay our price on the cross. And he said it is finished so that none of us need to worry about judgment for sin so long as we turn to him with a humble heart. Father, please bless everything that goes on tonight to your glory. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, again, perspective. It's a privilege to serve the Lord, part three. Let's start this way tonight on the board. God is after the attitude of the heart. God is after the attitude of the heart. When we get out of the way and admit we're just unworthy servants, then that puts us in a very good place. It's then we see what a privilege it is to serve our Lord and Master, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. So let's start by seeing what the Lord taught about our attitude in serving God. Again, first of all, the point on the board, God is after the attitude of the heart. And we see one example of that in Luke 17, verse 7. So go to Luke 17, verse 7. Let's see what our, our Lord taught about, taught about the proper way to look at ourselves and our service. Luke 17, 7. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave, because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't usually think that. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty. Because notice what it says in verse 10. So you too, when you do all the things you're commanded. When I do all the things I'm commanded, <laughs> you know, you don't want to know what goes on in, in the soul. You get, you get a little puffed up. You get a little, like, you know, settled in, right? Uh, how come no one appreciates me or whatever starts going through your mind? Where really, you know, if we had the Lord's perspective, this is what we'd be saying. Even after we've done all that we've been commanded, uh, we're unworthy slaves. We've only done what he's, he's commanded us. And that's because of how 
great the gap is between us as human beings, sinners, and God. Uh, it's just the right place. It's the right way to look at ourselves. And it's the right attitude for the human heart to have. So when we remember our place, that God created us, not the other way around, God created us, then we can be rescued from arrogance and live in the freedom of grace that God has for us. Uh, so, for example, this perspective on the board might help. Living under the privilege of serving the Lord God is living in the freedom of grace. Our master has already taken care of us in every way. And so we worship and honor him in any way he gives us opportunity. Again, living under the privilege of serving the Lord God is living in the freedom of grace. Our master has already taken care of us in every way. And so we worship and honor him in any way he gives us opportunity. Again, back to perspective, which we're going to close with tonight with uh, King David. Turn again in your Bibles to Romans 6, verse 17. Romans 6, 17. Do we view things the way the Lord tells us to and shows us to? It says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, by the way, your master has rescued that, rescued you from that, right? Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness, which is really freedom, an opportunity to do God's good an opportunity to actually do something righteous, even though we're sinners to begin with. But you became obedient from the heart, and that is what God is looking for. So our main point in this series on the board has been serving from the heart. The proper perspective on serving is that it's a pure privilege. It's nothing less than a privilege, a grace gift, and an opportunity to honor the Lord from the heart. When you pray about doing something for the Lord, I was thinking about this, and I actually almost kind of fell into this prayer uh, for a moment. When you pray about doing something for the Lord, and He gives you the go-ahead on something, and, and you go forward in a certain area of service, how about saying to Him, I do this for you, Lord? Almost like catching yourself before you go forward with maybe a wrong motivation. Check your motivation. And then... Repent if you need to and be like, okay, Lord, I'll do this for you. I mean, like really pausing and examining yourself and your motivation. That might be a prayer and an attitude that we adopt as we go forward serving the church and others. We were reminded on Sunday that reaching out to the lost is a pure privilege as well. That's been bestowed upon us, a divinely bestowed privilege. And think about this. God's going to allow you to be used to help save a soul when you were the one that needed saving just yesterday. I mean, who else does this? Who does that in this world? Who takes a loser 
and says, I'm going to use you to do the greatest thing possible on this planet. You know, we, obviously we don't do that in the human race. But God does that. His ways are not our ways. God is going to allow you to be used to help save a soul, hopefully more than one in your lifetime, just to have a hand in it. He's going to let you participate in that thing, even though you were the one that needed saving just yesterday. So again, it's perspective, right? Who are we that he should consider using us? Sometimes we think we're something, but obviously if we check ourselves and we look at what we're studying in this series... Um, obviously we're nothing. And so who, who are we that he uses us for this type of uh, honor and privilege to save somebody's life even eternally, to help do that? We saw on Sunday how we need to frequently take a look in the mirror so we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. On the board, the value of the mirror, we look at others and say, what's wrong with them? Or I can't deal with them. But yet, that was you at one point. Look in the mirror. Did you forget what you look like? Do you want more compassion? Do you want more patience? I know I do. Well, look in the mirror and remember where you came from. That, that does the trick if you honestly, honestly look in the mirror and take that time. And you go back to, you know, maybe before you were saved, or you go back to your youth and your foolishness and the things you did, and you realize that God has forgotten all those sins for you, forgotten them, because you've already claimed the cross, you've already claimed the blood of Christ. So if that doesn't do it, what's going to do it? I mean, let's be real. Maybe you're not being real if that doesn't do it for you. So this will help our perspective on serving and witnessing as well, and it will rescue us from our selfish, fleshly perspectives. As the Spirit brought out on Sunday, allow the Lord's perspective to rescue your skewed thinking, which we all have. We're trying to gain His perspective and drop our perspective. One thing we've learned so far from our new friend Obed-Edom on the board is that serving is a pure privilege, if we change our perspective and realize that serving is a pure privilege before God, we will be willing to do whatever is needed, whatever the Lord brings to our doorstep. And we learned all this from this man's actions, right? Not his words. Uh, he had a willing heart. He willingly did whatever was needed. It's a pretty cool example. And on the board again, um, we saw the example of Obed-Edom. In 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 13, which we're just going to finish up with here shortly and then uh, move on to David. But this man, Obed-Edom, taught us godly perspective in relation to serving. We gather together and learn the word of God so we can drop our worldly perspectives, our skewed perspectives, and learn Christ's perspective on the board, gaining the Lord's perspective. This is why we're here. This is why we need to learn the Word of God daily, both under our pastor teacher and in our own reading of the Scriptures. Without training in the Word, we're destined to displease God with our ways and motivations. Again, these are heart issues too we're talking about, right? Motivations and why we do what we do. 
We're destined to do things even for the wrong reasons unless we train ourselves up in the Word. We desperately need to gain the Lord's perspective till the day we die. We desperately need that. So it's through the Word of God that we even learn, learn about men like Obed-Edom, right? If we weren't studying the Word and, and reading all these passages, we wouldn't even know his example to encourage us and learn from and follow. But the Word of God provides these things to help change our perspective if we're humble. So when we see an attitude like his, Obed-Edom's, which again we've seen in his actions, we're encouraged and we see what it's like to actually live it. And I I don't know about you, but that really helps me. And sometimes it's somebody right in our own local assembly who, you know, decides to step out on faith, decides to live it, to live service, to, um, you can tell they view it as a privilege. They almost jump at the chance when something is available that needs to be done. And sometimes that, that example helps it click in your own soul, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know, over, over time, at different times of your life, you need it even more. But that's what we see from this man. Uh, he was humble enough to take the ark into his house, even after the frightening death of Mr. Uzzah. So on the board, the one main point that came out on Sunday was buying time for your fellow soldier. And Obed-Edom bought time for David at his moment of weakness. And then three months later, David learned of the blessing of God upon Obed-Edom and his house, and he then went to take the ark into Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 15. But David needed this time. Who knows? Let's say Obed-Edom said no, and let's say all the Jews said, no way, I'm taking this into my house. What would David have done? And would David have been ready to handle it the right way? I mean, who knows, but we know it did happen. And that is that David needed this man to step in the gap and relieve him at that time that he he didn't understand what was going on. So there's no greater privilege than that, really. And we have the chance to do that for each other right in our local assembly. Um, From time to time, it'll be you doing it for me and then me doing it for you and et cetera, et cetera. And that's why we uh, lock shields, so to speak and keep, keep going forward together. But you and I will get opportunities to give a breather to our fellow soldiers in Christ who are side by side with us in the spiritual warfare trenches. And we know the trenches, right? It's not hard, uh, it's not easy, obviously, sometimes. It uh, can be very difficult, but that's why we're here. And you know what? Reach out to one another. If you've got, if you've got a problem, if you've got... Um, If you need someone to take the ark from you for a while, maybe take your post in some fashion, reach out to one another. It's kind of what we're here for. And it really is a beautiful thing in the Lord's eyes because we're living in the love that he commanded. On the board in John 15, 12 through 13, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And Obed-Edom did this for David. Obed-Edom, by faith, he really put his life on the line at that time, and, and the life of his family. 
to buy time for his fellow man of God. And we saw how the blessings continued for Obed-Edom because he had the right attitude. Um, Not only was he and his family blessed during the three-month period, but on the board, he, he continued to be blessed in 1 Chronicles 15, 18 through 24. I'll turn there again to 1 Chronicles 15, verse 21, actually. 1 Chronicles 15, 21. But here we see that uh, Obed-Edom is appointed as a gatekeeper of the ark. This is after David took the ark back from him three months later. He's appointed as a gatekeeper of the ark, as well as being privileged to play instruments of celebration to the Lord. So if you look at the end of verse 21, you see Obed-Edom was appointed to be part of the music ministry. And at the end of verse 24, again, we're in 1 Chronicles 15. At the end of, I see some pages still going. At the end of verse 24, he was made one of the gatekeepers, which was a very unique post. So what a tremendous and unique privilege this was. God rewarded this man because he was willing. He was a willing servant. He was a humble servant. He knew it was a privilege that came to his doorstep, even though no one else wanted any part of it at that uncertain time. As the Lord said in the parable of the minus, to he who has, more will be given. And Monica brought this out to me once. We were chatting about this situation with Obed-Edom and everything and how when you accept God's calling on your life, then God's free to give you other things. But that place of acceptance has to come first. And then, like Obed-Edom, he, he totally accepted this as an opportunity and a privilege that came to his doorstep. And he served with a joyful heart. He got blessed. His socks got, you know, how's it go? Blessed socks off? Yeah. He got blessed like crazy with his family <laughs> for three months. And... Um, But his attitude was so great and so willing and so uh, humble that God said, all right, you can handle more now. You can handle more now. And that's what the parable brings out to us. To he who has more will be given. So when someone sees service for what it truly is, like Obed-Edom did, that it's a privilege and an opportunity, he's then free from the wrong motivations that can creep in. Again, we're here to gain the Lord's perspective on these things. All right, so look at 1 Chronicles 16, verse 37. 1 Chronicles 16, 37. Just a little bit more on his blessings. So he, David, left Asaph and his relatives there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark continually as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 relatives... Obed-Edom, also the son of Jedunthan <laughs> and Hosa as gatekeepers. But there we see again, Obed-Edom with his 68 relatives. And now go to uh, chapter 26, 1 Chronicles 26, verse 4. And remember again how much God loves family. How God doesn't forget anybody. 1 Chronicles 26.4 Obed-Edom had sons, Shemaiah the firstborn, 
Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, Sakar the fourth, Nethanel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, and Puelathai the eighth. God had indeed blessed him. Also his son Shemaiah, to his son Shemaiah, sons were born who ruled over the house of their father, for they were mighty men of valor. The sons of Shemaiah were Othni, Raphael, Obed, Elzabad, whose brothers Elihu and uh, Samachiah were valiant men. All these were of the sons of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their relatives were able men with strength for service. 62 from Obed-Edom. And then jump to verse 12. To these divisions of the gatekeepers, the chief men were given duties like their relatives to minister in the house of the Lord. They cast lots, the small and the great alike, according to their father's households, for every gate. The lot of the east fell to Shelemiah. Then they cast lots for his son, Zechariah, a counselor with insight, and his lot came out to the north. For Obed-Edom, it fell to the south, and to his sons went the storehouse. To his sons went the storehouse. This is not just some small detail. This man got blessed, and as we're going to see here in a moment, got blessed by God, and his family got blessed by God. This faithful, humble servant is rewarded by God, including having his children be blessed. And all this came about because Obed-Edom had the right perspective on serving. He had a willing heart. He recognized privilege when he saw it. So on the board, regarding perspective, serving the Lord is a pure privilege and nothing less than that. So now let's touch a bit on how God decided to choose Obed-Edom for these additional blessings and places to serve. All right, God really literally chose this man. And in fact, as we're going to see, a man didn't even choose this man to have these posts. The Spirit hinted to this on Sunday morning. Look again at verse 13. They cast lots, the small and the great alike, according to their father's households for every gate. And in verse 15, For Obed-Edom, it, the lot, fell to the south, and to his sons went the storehouse. So casting lots was a way in the ancient world to seek a divine decision. They trusted God to have the right man for the job pick the right straw, so to speak. So on the board, just a little something here into the teaching on casting lots from BibleStudy.org. The primary reason for casting lots was to render an impartial unbiased decision on important matters. Once they were cast, no one could argue that the decision was the result of human intervention, like nepotism, politics, favoritism, and so on. So when this lot fell to Obed-Edom, nobody could say anything. No one could claim favoritism was being had because this man helped David and he's in with David and that's not fair, right? You know how we get no one could say a word because this man was chosen by God in this unique way. 
Uh, look at on the board, a little bit more on casting lots. This practice would be the same as throwing dice or flipping a coin we commonly use today. In ancient times, they used varying means to cast lots, depending on the place and local customs, such as coins, polished sticks, cards, dice, and so on. So they would conclude by casting lots that men like Obed-Edom were objectively chosen by God, not by the partiality of men. And we, we still do it today, right? Sometimes we flip a coin, right? And there's no partiality in that. Like before every football game, they flip a coin, right? Who gets the ball first? What would happen if you went into a game and the referee said, um, the higher-ups chose that you get the ball first. And if it's not the Patriots, everyone here, you know, takes a fit, right? There's a conspiracy going on. But that's why they flip the coin. There's impartiality. And does anything happen by chance? Like our tendency is to think that's kind of silly. In our flesh, we'd be like, oh, flip a coin. That's not a right way to make a decision. But does anything happen by chance, really? So here we allow God to make the final call instead of having any favoritism. It's an interesting thing. Obed-Edom did not get chosen by grateful men who liked him and gave him the position of gatekeeper. He didn't even get chosen by King David here. Men's uh, or man's preferential treatment was totally taken out of the way, and by lot, God selected Obed-Edom. And even the scripture tells us, it is by God, in Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Its every decision is from the Lord. So casting lots is simply a matter of trusting God to make the choice. So we can rightly conclude, God chose to give Obed-Edom these further blessings. Of all the father's households, as it says in verse 13, I think it is, the small and the great alike, of all the father's households for, which, or for whom lots were cast, Obed-Edom was one of the few chosen by God for the position of gatekeeper. So on the board, as we wrap up the blessings of Obed-Edom, a little commentary from Matthew Henry in 1 Chronicles 26. He says, The sons of Obed-Edom were employed in this office, 62 of that family. This was he that entertained the ark with reverence and cheerfulness, and see how he was rewarded for it. He had eight sons, in verse 5, for God blessed him. The increase and building up of families are owing to the divine blessing, and a great blessing it is to, ha to a family to have many children, when like these they are able for and eminent in the service of God. In other words, even his children were willing and good servants, as witnessed by how they took care of the ark as well when it was in their home. Uh, he goes on to say, his sons were preferred to places of trust in the sanctuary. They had faithfully attended the ark in their own house, and now were called to attend it in God's house. He that is trusty in little shall be trusted with more. He that keeps God's ordinances in his own tent is fit to have the custody of them in God's tabernacle. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. I have kept thy law, says David, and this I had because I kept thy precepts. 
Psalm 119, 55, and 56. So that closes up our view of Obed-Edom and his perspective and actions. And now we'll get back to our series title here as we wrap up tonight. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. That's our perspective. We learned a lot from Obed-Edom and his actions. And as has been mentioned earlier, we learn also a lot from David, who was certainly a man after God's own heart, who was a man who had wonderful perspective and attitude in serving the Lord, even though he did make his mistakes like the rest of us. So on the board, let's start this way regarding David. David's greatest asset. David remembered where he came from and all that the Lord had done for him. David remembered where he came from and all that the Lord had done for him. And it seems, I don't want to say all the time, but most of the time, David remembered this. And that's what made him such a great servant, that perspective. We're reminded of this in certain passages written by David or spoken by David, what we might call the who am I passages. And the first one we'll see illustrates David's humility and his heart of servanthood when King Saul offered one of his daughters to David in marriage. And keep in mind, this is after David was already a great honored warrior in Israel. Not only did he defeat Goliath, the giant, he also was now known among Israel, so much so that King Saul was very jealous of him. So let's see David's attitude. Uh, go in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. 1 Samuel 18, 6. This is a funny thing about David. Um, he's such a humble guy. If we were there next to him, though, and he had this humble attitude, we'd probably be like, why are you being so humble? You, look, you're a great man of God. I mean, take the blessings, that kind of an attitude, right? David was not assumptive or presumptive at all. Um, a wonderful example to imitate. 1 Samuel 18, 6. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now stop right there. In the face of all this praise, that David's getting, what would your attitude have been? What would your attitude have been if they were singing this about you, even above the king? But what was the attitude of David's heart when he was offered King Saul's daughter as a wife? Look at verse 18, 1 Samuel 18, 18. But David said to Saul, who am I, and what is my life or my father's family in Israel, that I should be the king's son-in-law? But David, you just killed Goliath. You're the greatest warrior in Israel right now. Why are you saying this? He had perspective, the right perspective. 
He said to Saul, Who am I, and what is my life or my father's family in Israel, that I should be the king's son-in-law? And look at verse 23. So Saul's servant spoke these words to David, but David said, Is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? But David, you're not lightly esteemed. They were just singing to you. You've killed the ten thousands. That wasn't David's viewpoint of himself. He kept the real perspective that he was a sinner saved by grace. So we see David's genuine humility come out at a time of pressure. He had the pressure of praise from the people and the pressure of expectations. But here's David's secret. David had a pure perspective about who he was. A sinner saved by God's grace. And there was nothing special about him. The only thing special about him was what God gave him. David believed that 100%. Which I don't know about you, but I don't always believe that 100%. (laughs) Sharing with you all my arrogance. But David believed that 100%. He had a pure perspective. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and anything good about me is from God. It didn't matter how high he climbed the ladder, so to speak. It didn't matter what even when he became king. He had the same attitude. Because that's, <laughs> that's the reality of the situation. That's the truth. On the board, he had a pure perspective. David knows in his heart that he's nothing without God. And that's what gave him the right perspective about serving the Lord and his people. David knows in his heart that he's nothing without God. And that's what gave him the right perspective about serving the Lord and his people. And that's why God used him. And to whom, you know, some is given, more is given, right? God just kept being able to use him because he was humble. David knew where his strength and his victories came from. He knew it all came from the gentleness of God. On the board, David wrote this in Psalm 18.35. You have also given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand upholds me, and your gentleness makes me great. So David had pure perspective. And that's why his attitude was that he was a servant, as we're going to close with tonight. He was a servant, and he knew it. He had no misunderstanding about that. So now let's fast forward to David as the king of Israel. After God made a covenant with David and promised him a kingdom forever to his descendants, David's response was one overwhelmed by the privilege he was given. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Again, after God made a covenant with David and promised him a kingdom forever to his descendants, David's response was one overwhelmed by the privilege he was given. 2 Samuel 7, 18. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? 
When's the last time you said that to the Lord? Just something to honestly think about. Again, verse 18. David the king went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, and to make a name for himself, and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt." From nations and their gods. For you have established for yourself your people Israel as your own people forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever, and do as you have spoken, that your name may be magnified forever by saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and may the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing, may the house of your servant be blessed forever. There we can see a glimpse of David's heart. He realized how privileged he was, what a privilege it was to serve God in any capacity. He remembered where he came from and where God had brought him. We all can remember that place. And if we do that, that can be an anchor in our own souls as a reminder of his grace towards you when you were still his enemy. So in all honesty, remembering where you came from, do you possibly deserve anything good from God? Remembering where you came from. Think about where you came from. Think about where God took you from. Think of your lowest moments. Think of the sin that maybe is most embarrassing to you in your past or the most disobedient, whatever. Think of where God took you from and rescued you from. Do you possibly deserve anything good from God? Now, if we start there, then everything is a privilege. And that's what David really believed in his heart. On the board, regarding perspective, we are simply unworthy slaves with a very kind master. Let that truth ground you each and every day. We are simply unworthy slaves with a very kind master. 
As we said in the beginning of this series, the Spirit is trying to change our perspective into His and help us see that serving God is a pure privilege, nothing less than a pure privilege. And David gives us a purer example. On the board, recognizing the privilege, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And by the way, any of us can say that. You don't have to be a king in a palace to be able to say that. Oh, God's blessed me with everything now, so now I can say that. No. He's taken you and rescued you from where you were, which is a place of condemnation, a place of guilt. So I don't care where you live. I don't care your economic situation. Think of where God's taken you from. He saved you from condemnation, eternal condemnation, and he's elevated you to eternal life by grace. And he even lets you serve him as a privilege. For example, in witnessing or in serving in the church or whatever. So we all can say this on the board, honestly. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you've brought me this far? I don't deserve it. 2 Samuel 7.18, and David also said this in 1 Chronicles 17, verse 16. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles 17, verse 16. And as we read this passage, which is very similar to the one in 2 Samuel, pay attention to how many times David calls himself God's servant. 1 Chronicles 17, 16. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? This was a small thing in your eyes, O God, but you have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the standard of a man of high degree, O Lord God. What more can David still say to you concerning the honor bestowed on your servant? For you know your servant. O Lord, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have wrought all this greatness to make known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make you a great to make you a name by great and terrible things, in driving out nations from before your people, whom you redeemed out of Egypt. For your people Israel you made your own people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. Now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever, and do as you have spoken. Let your name be established and magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel, and the house of David, your servant, is established before you. For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will pray, uh, that you will build for him a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray before you. Now, O Lord, you are God and have promised this good thing to your servant. And now it has pleased you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, 
have blessed, and it is blessed forever. So when's the last time you looked at yourself as God's servant in the purest sense? In other words, when's the last time you looked at yourself as God's servant and that's all you are? Uh, that's exactly what you are. It defines you. Well, David clearly knew his position and claimed it 100%. So now that we have all been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and saved by grace through faith, we now belong to him. We are his servants and happily so. That's who we've been made new to be. The new creature is a servant of righteousness. Again, we've been brought to the freedom of grace. And the privilege of serving God, being under that way of thinking and way of living, is actually under the freedom of grace, what we started with. The new creature is a servant of righteousness. We have the privilege to do righteous things in His name, even though we don't deserve it and even though we don't have the ability in our own power. And yet God says, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm even giving you my power. Go and live in this privilege that I'm giving you for the short time on earth that you have left. So what a privilege to be able to do good for his name. As we close out this series, as an older man, King David went before all of Israel, announcing that God had told him that his son Solomon would be the next king of Israel and would build the holy temple as a house for the Ark of the Covenant. So first, let's notice David's instructions to Solomon and how God wants our heartfelt service. Go to 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. You guys are learning these Old Testament chapters a little better, huh? <laughs> what order is it again? So first here, let's notice again David's instructions to Solomon and how God wants our heartfelt service. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. I wonder if David was thinking about Obed-Edom when he told his son to be courageous and act. Who knows? But that's what true faith does. It acts. Notice in, in verse 10, after David tells Solomon, you know, if you seek God, he'll let you find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you. And then he says in verse 10, consider now. In other words, this is your point, your critical point of going forward or not. Count the cost. Consider now. The Lord has chosen you, Solomon, to build a house for the sanctuary be courageous and act. Because you know why? If we don't actually go forward in faith and take an action, we go backwards. We think we're staying still, but we 
It's not true. And so he says, be courageous and act. Act in faith right now. Here's your opportunity. Here's your privilege. So David goes on to pray to the Lord in front of all the people. This humble prayer of praise reveals David's understanding that to serve the Lord was a total privilege and nothing less. Look at 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. Chapter 29, verse 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it's from your hand, and all is yours. Since I know, O my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness, I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy I have seen your people, who are present here, make their offerings willingly to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you. And give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, and to do them all, and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. But again in verse 14, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? Who am I? is a question that we should all dwell upon. We're nothing without God, and anything good comes from Him, as David just clearly said. David did not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. It's simply foolishness to think that way before the living God. So again, on the board as we close, David's greatest asset... David remembered where he came from and all that the Lord had done for him. And I don't know if any of you remember the last series that I had the privilege of teaching a few months ago on the board, back from November 27th to December 4th. Remember, do not forget the grace the Lord your God has shown you. Do you detect a theme from the Spirit? 
It was also in Pastor's blog last week on compassion. The same idea. So again, on the board, David's greatest asset. David remembered where he came from and all that the Lord had done for him. So the conclusion we have to come to is to serve the Lord and his people is nothing less than a pure privilege which we do not deserve. And may the Lord get into our stubborn souls and change our perspective. And may every day we remember where we came from. Remember all the Lord's done for us. And then we're starting at the right place and everything else above that's a privilege. Amen? All right, let's close. Father, God, we thank you so much again. We thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit guiding us and teaching us. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy toward us and your gentleness, Father. We know that's what makes us any of us great, allows any of us to do anything good and righteous in this life. And Father, help us view all these things as a pure privilege. Help us always remember where we came from, what you've saved us from, and that we're all servants. And we joyously take that title as a servant of righteousness. We thank you for the privilege of being able to do these things, truly good things for you and your name, while given the opportunity. Father, we ask that you help us take your word out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen.